that's how lame the White House has become and how like not sacred any of this shit is because it's the same thing as like a 7-Eleven. You know, like anybody could have walked in there and be like, yo, I got ideas who I talk to. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast live stream. I am your Hollywood socialist host, Francesca Fiorentini. What's good? I hope you guys are okay. I hope we are hanging in there. Uh, we have T minus, I don't know, 50 hours? Like 48 hours. Future people, you've got a lot less to go. We've got Two and change days from when this dirty diaper of a president will be taken out with the trash. Uh, and I cannot wait. He can definitely still start a war in that time. Believe you me, they will definitely try. Someone's getting nuked. Okay. Let me just, just say that right now. Um, welcome everybody on YouTube and on Twitch, sup? Make sure you are liking the stream, sharing the stream, subscribing. I hope you are subscribed at this point. God damn it, what do I have to do to earn your love? Um, we have such a good show for you today. Uh, Miles Gray of the Daily Zeitgeist podcast is here. We're running down this insane week that has felt like, oh, I don't know, just a regular old decade. Just, just there you go. There's my life. This week. Um, also, Alexandra Rojas, the executive director of Justice Democrats, uh, primarying and uh, centrist Dem since 2017. <laughs> she is here joining us later. We're going to talk to her about the priority for progressive candidates in the future, priorities for the squad, um, you know, how to push back against the, the centrist sadness as well as the uh, far right fascism. We're getting into it later on. And also, we're going to end this show with a little bit of a look at what we imagine the White House staff will have to do to sweep away this president and all the things, all the things that are probably going to have to happen and that they're going to have to do in the next 48 hours or in the next week or in the next, this transition time, this transitory moment. Um, I wanted to just take a moment to thank everybody for your tips and also thank you all for being patrons oh my god we have almost 80 patrons we are well on our way um to our goal i believe uh we're cooking we're grooving and i am so thankful to everyone who's become a patron you can be a patron at patreon.com slash situation room Thank you. And also you can still tip the show TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. And I don't have my bat mitzvah music right now. But I just want to say Patreon party with, without music. Um, I want to thank everyone who's become part of the Franny Pack. Uh, my little Fran Tifa over here at $10 a month or more. Gary T, Mike H, James A, Miguel E, Patricia T, Chris M, Lauren G, Quazpuin which I'm definitely not pronouncing right. Kevin B, Michael T, Abdul K, Lexi Duke, Marion Brian S, Osama H, Roman B. And the big tipper, Stephen W, Susan Zen B, Anna M, Oscar P, Juan V. Thank you guys so much for your support. It means a lot. 
it really, really means a lot. So get on over to patreon.com slash bituation room. And until I find a bra company that wants to sponsor me or E-Trade specializes in trading E, uh, I'm relying on your support to support independent media, left media, comics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all right, without further ado, let's get into the week and what I am personally bitching about. You guys chime in. What are you bitching about? Oh, of course, I could go really light. You know, I could go with like, you know, I haven't really found the right routine for my nails yet. You know, it's just like I'm just going without nail polish right now because like everything just makes my nails so brittle. Um, but I'm not going to do that. At some point, I will. But I am bitching about the lack of nuance around Joe Biden. The fact that we can't talk about Joe Biden without certain people being like, hey, stop criticizing Joe Biden. Hey, don't criticize Joe Biden. Or people are like, Joe Biden is trash. Joe Biden's disappointed me already. Like he hasn't even assumed office. It's like both of you need to shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. We just have to be more strategic and intellectually honest. This is my thing. Going forward, I hope to be intellectually honest with you all. If Biden does something good, I think we should, you know, or a very slow clap or whatever we want to do. If Biden does, does something shitty, let's call that out as well, right? But the knee-jerkness around like, don't criticize him. He's better than the fascist. Like, obviously, he's better than the fascist. But also, like... Let's not just be like, he's a neoliberal war hawk that's already declared war on Iran and China. Like, that's also not real. Um, so, for example, this week, right, Biden unveiled this $1.9 trillion COVID plan. He's got to obviously get it passed through Congress. Um, but there's a lot of shit in there that we haven't seen in this entire year of now almost 400,000 deaths. This ridiculous moment that we're in, an absent federal government. And in it is things like expanding paid emergency sick leave for people who work at giant corporations, you know, because Amazon and Walmart clearly can't do it on their own. But that is going to extend benefits to 106 million people. That's huge. Um, more direct payments, uh, like a stay on on evictions, uh, which is really, really crucial. Um, yes, there's six. There's fourteen hundred dollars instead of two thousand dollars, which. We all know plus the 600 adds up to $2,000, but still I get that we're salty that it wasn't $2,000 out the, out of the gate. But I will say that I think there are other things in the COVID package that will ameliorate and alleviate some of the hardest hit folks, the essential workers, um, the people who cannot work from home. So let us be a little more fair and fully full-throated, full-eyed bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know what I'm saying. Basically, uh, let's read stuff before we fully come down on like, he's a corporate shoe, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> also, this is the transition of power, and apparently in the first day, in the first three days of Biden's presidency, um, this according to a memo by Ron Klain, who's his uh, chief of staff, they're going to do a whole bunch of stuff and reverse a whole bunch of stuff. So, reversing the Muslim ban, um, rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, extending pandemic relief, uh, related limits on evictions, student payment loans, um, issuing a mask mandate for the love of God. Um, 
and also trying to reunite children with their families, those who were separated at the border from their families. Um, the last thing is that apparently in the first few days, he's going to be introducing a plan for uh, legalization and um, status for 11 million undocumented immigrants. That's huge, right? Now, I'm not saying he's not already and going to be disappointing. All right. It's Joe Biden. We know he's going to be disappointing. In fact, the only idea that I ever had that a president couldn't be disappointing was when Bernie Sanders was running. And I was like, hey, maybe, maybe the empire isn't all that bad. And then you're like, oh, man. But, but so these are good things. Let's, let's give credit where credit is due. Let's maintain our critiques. Let's push him, um, you know, and uh, let's make sure that the the most corporate instincts are not followed by making sure there's massive pressure and people in Congress who are also getting behind that pressure. Let me just find finally, I just want to say that it is important as leftists to not get black pilled into nihilism. All right. This this is the difference we hope between us and the right wing. The right wing is the most cynical force in this nation, right? They are so cynical they would vote in Trump, right? Because they're like, fuck it, demagogue. Let's let's let the left not be nihilistic. We're mad at the oligarchy. We're mad at the corporations, obviously, but like let us find if you're mad at all of it, find one thing you're for. Find the campaign you're into. Find the one proposition you think is worth it. Find your happy place and try and, you know, inflate that. Just fan those flames of the good stuff. Um because the moment we get into nihilism, the moment we stop thinking about organizing, the moment we just sort of retreat into our little like internet fiefdoms where everyone's fucked up and nobody's good and everything everyone does, every Democrat does is bad. Like then we lose. Then we immediately lose because we set ourselves up for loss and failure. I'm going to shut up right now and bring in my guest for the hour. He is a comedian, podcaster, former political operative who has created award-winning content for YouTube, Playboy, and Condé Nast. Currently, he is the co-host of the Daily Zeitgeist podcast on iHeartRadio. I have been a guest. It's so good. He is so wonderful. Please welcome Mr. Miles Gray. Oi, Joe Biden is a corporate shill, mate. <laughs> I won't have it any other way, man. You've seen it. You've seen the cabinet picks, mate. West exec. Really, bruv. <laughs> Secretary of State, really, bruv? No, I do. You know, I feel you. It's it's a wild time. The bar's so low that yeah, I'm crying too. Looking at that stimmy package, I'm like <laughs> mask mandate, and I'm like, that's right. There's no bar even on the ground. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it'll. This is a very interesting time. I was telling you before, you know, like when we were kind of talking about this, I I definitely have my criticisms of this of this man of mm -hmm. this administration and I will continue to have them. But to your point, I do agree. Like there's no point in going obviously without having the data in front of you to then begin critiquing. You can't just go into it saying, well, this is what it is, this, that, and the other, because there are some things I was genuinely surprised with all that yeah. to say, you got to keep your eye on it because I think I don't, my fear is that people are going to get so swept up in seeing somebody who understands what it means to hold office that ever, like we're completely sort of off balance after the last couple of years of just seeing an absolute tragedy uh, right. and not knowing like what is good, what's worth pushing against, what's still worth trying to burn some political capital for. 
Um, and that's, that's my, that's like the thing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm holding back because, you know, nothing started yet, but I'm curious to see where the wind blows for sure. Absolutely, man. And especially because, you know, you can't just, you know, what's going to happen is that they're going to dangle, you know, like Trump over our heads, like, well, would you rather have that guy? And it's like, no, (laughs) but that doesn't mean we can't hope for better, even better. What I will say is I don't think anyone's going to be charmed by the sundowning late stage Joe Biden. So like Joe Biden 15 years ago, maybe I'll be like, oh man, he's, you know, he's smooth. He's going to lull us with 2008 even. Yeah. We're like, oh, okay. Okay. Not that smooth anymore. Not that. No, no, no. Can't really replicate the, the smoothness, but Hey, um, but yeah, we are at the point where we're like, oh my God, there's a dog in the White House. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a rescue dog. And it's like, what about like unhoused people? What, like, <laughs> let's shift the focus again. I know we're loving uh, the, the rescue dog and everything else. But yeah, I mean, I, it's natural too, because on a certain level, we deserve to at least try and feel like, okay, my God, there's at least someone who isn't like their actual... Uh, objective in office isn't just to destroy everything and look in and not give a fuck about anything. So right. on that level, I'm like, okay, well, and I can re- return to just normal existential dread rather than heightened. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for this kind of disappointment, Miles. Can I just say like, it's, I'm excited <laughs> for Biden to disappoint me because it's right. a better disappointment and it, I'm, I'm there for it. I will be there for it. I want to ask you, what are you bitching about this week? Oh. Beyond everything we're going to get into, is there anything that's gotten under your craw? Crawled I mean, up like a little sand crab under your shorts. I've, I have a absolutely inconsequential one that's based off of Netflix, and I have one that's based off of the political climate. Wh- which one, where do you want me to t- take this? I think we need the Netflix. Okay, Bridgerton. Okay, <laughs> the whole show, and I can't get this out of my mind. Okay. We've the whole show has reduced what love is by the willingness of somebody to have no condom sex to completion without pulling out. And that's what we're being like. He loves her. And that's love. You know what I mean? It's all hinging on this. And I found myself watching like I'm so, I'm overly and I'm over leveraged in the will the Duke of Hastings shoot up the club market. Like I'm just I'm all in. I didn't know what was going on. And then it took a second for like I was looking at my partner, her majesty. I was like, what the fuck are we watching? Like this is we're waiting for this. Isn't That's he really- okay? So I haven't seen it, but isn't he just kind of like a like an like a fuck boy of the 1800s? I mean, it starts off that way, but look. <laughs> we know this. <laughs> fuck boys have depth. There's a lot of depth, not in a good way, but it, no one's just born a fuck boy. You know, it's like a reverse. Mm. The layers of fuckery add on until you're a fully formed fuck boy, and then you got to <laughs> peel them away and be like, "Oh, right, you're a frightened boy who hates their dad," uh, which is basically uh, what his vibe is. But all that to say, it's a wonderful show because at least they take a spin on uh, you know the monarchy in England and that people of color are participating. Uh, in the culture. And I was like, okay, the queen is, uh, is a light skinned black woman. I like this all. Do we just, so we, do we ignore the fact that they are black? It's just like, okay, they, you know, like African-Americans can play these roles or is it like slavery never happened? No, it's not that. I believe it's that the king married this woman of color, which therefore instantly elevated the status of people of color. So it was like just more accepted. It's like colonialism happened. It happened. Look, it's England, you know, (laughs) 
we can't get past. We can't erase that part. We brought culture to the world. Could um, you imagine what a show looks like where they tried to pretend like it wasn't a, like a just a colonizing powerhouse? Like where it's just like, oh, uh, you know, and then we have all this stuff that just kind of ended up here. I don't know that the Rosetta Stone. I think we just stumbled upon that. Huh. After a few seasons of Downton, I definitely forget that it it we're just celebrating oligarchs. I'm like, oh my god, I love that dress, and I want to drink whatever they're drinking. Um, same with the crown too. That's <laughs> same with what the crown. Oh, when god, I'm like, yeah. oh Margaret Thatcher, interesting, and I'm like, what? Oh, okay, this whole she show really is, is a complicated figure. Yeah, oh. that's what these shows do to you. I know they do. They really do. And uh, we love it, I think, in a certain way. But then, but then, you know, pulling back and remembering that Joe Biden is a shoe and I'm with shoe. the Leave campaign. Um, <laughs> Lute, right, my... Plutocrat, mate. He's a plutocrat. <laughs> Done and dusted, mate. It's not even, don't even need to check the receipts, mate. Um, I love it. I, I hope we get I hope More. we get a lot of uh, our folks from the UK becoming patrons after those impressions. Yeah, um, come on now, Miles. Let's get into this week. Uh, yeah. So much shit happened, and I'm sorry to say we're not going to talk about the 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 shit that didn't happen from the Secret Service in Ivanka and Jared's many bathrooms. That was a very roundabout way of saying that I'm skipping that story. But yeah. this is the week where. All right, this was the week where, of course, more fallout from the idiot insurrection, the Confederacy of Dunces. This was the week where Trump was impeached again. And it was still not over getting a blowjob from an intern, which has really got to annoy him at this point. Like, it, it was helping to uh, it was it was over helping to incite a riot and an insurrection from uh, the far right white supremacist extremists, uh, which is a very different white stain on democracy. Um, <laughs> ten, <laughs> ten House Republicans joined with Democrats to impeach the president, including Representative Liz Cheney, daughter of, yes, still very much alive Dick Cheney. And, you know, you're a piece of shit when the daughter of waterboarding like. The daughter, daughter yes, the daughter boarding is turning on you, right? Like she's like, I'm okay with toppling other people's governments, just not at home. Don't coo where you eat. Right. Rule number one. Uh, rule number one. Rule number one of this whole thing. I mean, her father, Darth Vader, taught her very <laughs> well, I would say. But that's why I'm also like, I see you, Liz, because, you know, her, they weren't about to let this party get taken over by this man. Like there's been too much, too many decades of weird foreign policy and money being made off the party being run one way that to take it to QAnon, just like rabid white supremacy with no concern for the military industrial complex are excuse you. No, yeah. I will. Militarism attached to that. You better yeah. want a foreign war. Someone's got to make some money. But that's why I could see her being like, you know. With her, with being like, look, daddy's Darth Vader. I'm coming out here saying, here's the line now. This is what the party needs to be. That, like, she's giving some people cover to try and find their spines, uh, to try and, you know, put this in the hands of another group of shady characters. Uh, totally. but that was definitely like, okay, so she's, she's making a move. She's definitely making a move out here. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It reminds me, I was just going to continue on because pressure is coming from corporate donors and Republican PACs like Americans for Prosperity um, of the Koch brothers. And they're all like reevaluating their donations. And uh, yeah, a lot of these Republicans are losing corporate donors like flies. And once again, just like Liz Cheney is a bad sign when she turns on you, like when Comcast and Walmart are showing more decency than Republican lawmakers. Like, you know, the party's really strayed from its core principle of keeping people poor. Right. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, they make it rain on Nazis normally. And now they're like, hmm, <laughs> is this? Well, now that people know, I mean, it was used to just be like those people who were on open secrets and figuring out where money was going. Now it's like mainstream news. It's funny to watch these sort of like, you know, performative uh, gut checks that they're having. But I mean, what's the over under on, you know, all of that working? Because like you're saying, you have to have a part like that's that is again, it's not in their interest as a money making enterprise that's only looking at their ledgers at the end of the day and not like, you know, humanity or if they're treating people with compassion. So I'm yeah. curious what that then they're like, Oh, God, we better I think we need to either create our own party and fund that with a bunch of like, politicians or get these people back on track to be like we're turning off the spigot um if you don't clean up i don't know yeah no it is interesting i mean it's like uh i uh, i the, 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 i don't want to give credit to these fucking republicans because again we're, we're saying this is all just mask off of the policies they've been pushing for so many yeah. years and this is what happens and this is my this is my thing about it is um we know that like far right populism which is ultimately just fascism it's not actual populism it's fake populism all that shit actually does make corporations money they love that stuff because they can pass their 1.9 trillion dollar tax break for the ultra wealthy like it all is good until oh they're storming the capital right. <laughs> like, fuck. like i know where it all and, happens i need that safe Exactly, exactly. That's where we're supposed to lobby. Where are we going to lobby if we can't go there? Um, and so it's, I'm of two minds of it. Because, for example, Bernie Sanders, like, he's an actual populist, like, and someone like him, someone like AOC, they're never going to be propped up by any moneyed interest because it doesn't actually like you're saying outlandish shit but you're saying outlandish shit like uh we should tax billionaires and they're like no, 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 no. like right. don't put that on so media companies investments like there's so much money that trump generated um and that's just not gonna be there for you know what i'm saying is that like right-wing fake populism makes a lot of people money um and so now but now they're trying to be like oh now we see where this fucking leads because yeah. it's obvious where it leads. Right. Um, because it's even the, just the way, you know, police treat demonstrators, protesters, you know, like if you're there actually fired up on something that's going to legitimately threaten the power of this corporatocracy, oligarchy, what have you, then you're brutalized. You know, that's they know. Right. But then when you're out there with your face paint on and like screaming all kinds of weird shit, they're like, no, nah, nah, this is fine. They don't know what the fuck is up. They have no idea how to liberate themselves because we got them on this show that they're loving right now and the more yeah. they can go deeper down there we don't want them to start linking up with the other poor people and start figuring out which way to direct their attention to because then absolutely. there's the problem absolutely yeah, yeah yeah keep it keep it cue um yeah. just real quick on the impeachment so of course this means that it is going to the senate for a trial mitch mcconnell is saying that's probably going to happen not before 
Trump is gone. So this, there's going to be a Democratic, uh, mostly Democratic and Republican evenly split Senate um, when this trial happens. And Mitch McConnell is saying that he might actually be like thinking about voting to convict uh, Donald Trump, which is insane. That's a whole nother level of political calculation. And that there are maybe like a dozen or so Senate Republicans who are also willing to convict. They need 17 Republicans to vote for a two thirds majority to convict Donald Trump. And of course, that would mean he could never hold office again, which for me is like that behooves them so much. Like Mr. Ted Cruz. First of all, Ted Cruz is never going to vote against him, but he should because he's going to get trounced if Trump ever ran again. He's going to lose once again to the man he consistently gets cucked by. Yeah. And the man you let talk spicy about your wife still, I can't, you know, okay. All right, Ted, that's all we need to know. <laughs> but yeah, even with like that McConnell quote, right? The first one I feel like was like the New York Times on like at the end of the week. And they were like, he's pleased. The first one was like that he's pleased or something. And that he did believe that the president committed a, a, impeachable offenses, but in true McConnell fashion, never actually saying what's what or what he's actually going to do, but just signaling. But yeah, that's true. If he goes um, and actually supports convicting the president or the yeah. ex-president, former president, a Senate trial, then yeah, then it, it becomes entirely much more possible that it's just not like Lisa Murkowski and diarrhea spine Susan Collins to maybe like hop in and like <laughs> vote for what's right. So we'll see. But then the other yeah. part of that, too, is like with McConnell, that used to be his shit. Like the party was his. And then Trump came in and he had to do all this other nonsense that he didn't like doing. And so I'm sure it's weird. His calculus is like, well, he definitely doesn't want this dude back in the party. So he can kind of go back to, you know, running, running shit, at least from the Senate. And then also, hopefully that will bring the dollars back that we're talking about that have so much been like even like. But let's be real. Y'all were loving it when Trump was in office. So don't exactly. act like suddenly. Oh, oh, the, the, he's out now. Okay, the money's back. It's like you can't. Not these, these things don't. Swear. It's this weird game of like who is going to have the last laugh. It's like they're both hanging from the cliff, and like who's climbing up the other one to safety, and then who's like trying to like pry the fingers off the ledge. It's like they're just in this grand tussle. Um, of course, the people still getting fucked over and still uh, being lied to consistently. Um, but it is an interesting again in the realm of gross Republican. Um, like elite calculation, it'll be an interesting one to watch. Um, let's move on to the next story here. This was the week where the NRA went bankrupt. Yes, decades after declaring moral bankruptcy, the NRA finally declared itself in financial ruin. Um, this, uh, also, this was in the same or a few months after a New York attorney general sued the organization for using it as a personal piggy bank for the 30-year head Wayne LaPierre, who illegally diverted $64 million to pay for vacations to the Bahamas and personal shopping sprees. I guess when Wayne LaPierre says, from my cold, dead hands, he means the company credit card. one of the many gifts LaPierre was enriched with was an 107-foot yacht named The Illusion, which is just such a perfect floating wow. metaphor for the entire premise of the NRA. It's just getting rich off of the idea that liberals are taking your rights away. Yeah, or brown people are going to get near your house. Or brown people are going to yeah. get near your Absolutely. You got to arm yourself against BLM. Uh, come out Illusion. in a peach shirt. Make sure you're wearing nice peach Hand colors. On your hip. 
hand on the hip, hold the gun, the automatic rifle or whatever it was, like by the actual yeah. snout. I think they call it the snout of the rifle, Miles. I'm not sure if you're a gun enthusiast. Uh, I know yeah. a little bit about, about guns. It's yeah. a snout. Okay. Yes. The under barrel, if you will. Sure. I, and I love, uh, Miss McCloskey's form with that little revolver. She had doing like, it looked like she was doing, I'm a little teapot, but like with a gun in her hand, she's like, I'm gonna clap some protesters in my yard. Uh, it was, yeah, I don't know it, that, that image will stick with me, but the NRA, you know, uh, pour one out for them, uh, into your mouth and drink it and then laugh. Uh, cause that shit ended so sad, like not sad, fuck them, but like, it was such a stupid clusterfuck of liars, just yeah. hollowing their shit out. You know, like it, that's the thing. Like when you deal with something at, like the premise of the organization is already so toxic and an illusion in and of itself, since there's no substance, it will just, it'll rot pretty quickly. And knowing like oh, yeah. towards the end of like how LaPierre was like using the PR company to just like excuse all of his spending like did you like that house he tried to buy in dallas that was like a <laughs> french country estate that he then got a down payment from the nra like of 70 grand and then this was all happening when ollie north literally tried to overthrow the nra from within this is right. like everything was like so like ollie north came out and was like yo look at the accounting of this company i should be the head and then it consumed him it's Wow. I love it, the just like the different villains that are vying for power. It's very like if I ever wanted trial by combat to use Giuliani's phrasing, like it would be for the head of the NRA. Like, oh, yeah, who's yeah. going to be the next head? Like, I just want to like throw him in a big pit, MMA style. Um, you know, they all got these like sort of. I just imagine oh. like you know white ch flailing chest hairs and like cagey skinny white man right. bodies all just like battle royale so, like but that movie battle royale where like it's like maybe three things that we would recognize as weapons and then other just <laughs> weird items like a frying pan or like a pair of cooking <laughs> chopsticks or like you know a fucking no slipper guns. no yeah no, but oh, hell no 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 come on we not <laughs> no no not for the head of the NRA no y'all ripping each other's fucking faces off. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Uh, that when whole... I'm up here, I think would bite someone's face off for sure. Yeah, they're just like it's really something that you just this grift exists so vividly on the right like this of like we're going to find a sort of naivete of this group of people and just take the fact that because we are in a higher socioeconomic class and we wear suits all the time and yep. you know, we have nice shit. They'll think that whatever we say is legit. Cause how do we get here? Unless you know, we're not talking the truth. And then from there, just making it worse and worse and worse. And yeah, cause by that point, $30 million to the Trump campaign, $30 million in 2016, maybe more, most of it, dark money it was basically a shell company for Russian oligarchs to yeah. funnel money into the Trump campaign. How do you go bankrupt with that much money? That well, anyway. I think in the beginning of uh, 2019, they were spending like a hundred thousand dollars a day on legal fees. So <laughs> that's how <laughs> pretty quickly. Is, like, yo, we got a lot of lawsuits, man. I don't know what to say. We here. got a lot of angry parents. Uh, Wayne was who, Yep. Uh, who are not interested in bulletproof backpacks for no. some reason. Or having a math um, teacher carry a gun. <laughs> this is a perfect segue to, uh, speaking of legal fees, our next story. This was the week where Rudy Giuliani reached his end 
as Trump is reportedly refusing to pay his legal fees, which are $20,000 a day, which is honestly like standard soul selling price. Like I get that. Um, Now, on the surface, that seems like a really cold move on Trump's part after everything Rudy Giuliani has done for him. But I think it makes sense because we also found out this week that Trump officials have been selling pardons to the highest bidder, which once again is not actually illegal, even though it should be. Um, And Giuliani apparently told the formerly indicted CIA officer that the going price for his pardon was two million dollars, which is roughly 100 days of legal work. Of Rudy Giuliani. So it's not really about the money, is it? It's about that pardon. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm just doing the math real quick, right? If he was doing 20, because right, this all happened because Trump's like, fuck out of here. He didn't actually get he didn't steal the election for me. And he told me he promised me 20,000 a day. I was like, fine. So if we're assuming the the bit the contract began on what's they call November 4th, uh Mm -hmm. 74 days of $20,000 a day, he's looking at $1,480,000 in unpaid legal fees. (laughs) And for somebody who also Rudy Giuliani strategically claiming bankruptcy to get out of paying alimony and shit, um, he's probably sweating. But then like, what's the calculus here as well? Because on one hand, Trump gonna Trump, which means, oh, he owes you money? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Talk to like every city in America or even fucking uh-huh, uh-huh. people, citizens of the United States who are probably like, yo, he actually owes me like at least 300 bucks for the stress. Um, <laughs> like you look at this and, uh, oh, I forgot what I was, where I was going with this. Oh, so even with this, he's, you know, he's not going to pay you. What does Trump think that Giuliani isn't going to stab him in the back? Because he also needs a pardon from Trump. And then if he stabs Trump in the back, he gets no part. So did Trump just pull the move where he was like, I told him 20K, but <laughs> he needs the pardon. Like, how did, you know, somebody was thinking, look, he's he he will do it for a pardon and like a handle of whiskey. And he's like, I'm set. Right. Best mayor, America's mayor. You know, that's just a a lazy boy chair on a corner. Yeah, that's Mm. like that is going to be Giuliani. Giuliani. Oh, God. If they resuscitate him with Dancing with the Stars. No, (gasps) he can't even. He, he, the man can barely walk if he's he'll out here two-stepping he'll, or some shit i will i don't know what i'll do i don't know it'll be like a parody i feel like we're about to see in this post-trump era a parody of themselves where like giuliani will be dancing but he'll like have a bunch of hair dye running down his face on purpose you know he'll be tucking in his shirt yeah. strategically like the, the set is going to be four seasons total landscaping <laughs> yeah yes. The whole thing will just be like grifting off the grift of the grift of the grift, just like meta satire money. Oh. I don't put it past the the people running these TV companies and studios and shit. Cause you know, at a certain level, they're like, well, I mean, I'm not really at, at there, there's no threat to me if with creeping fascism, because I'm in a socioeconomic class where I could literally just leave if I wanted to. So I'll just exploit <laughs> this for more ratings and views and not realize what I'm doing. But yeah, I, True. I that's my, I, you know it's going to happen because everybody oh. is stupid. And there, we have so many examples of people making these dumbass decisions being like, that was such a bad decision on our part. We are so sorry about that. <laughs> oh, boy. But they're not. Yeah, exactly. What I would like to see, though, Miles, and I don't want to resuscitate Trump or, the, or fascism, mm-hmm. but I would love to see Trump on ice mm. at some point. Just the whole... 
No, well, yes, on oh, math as right. well, but on ice, just the whole administration every year, four years in like an hour and a half on ice show, you know, like Sean Spicer's there and oh. Ryan's Priebus, remember him. And like, they've all got like big heads, you know, too and much there's for the pain. <laughs> exactly. It's gotta be like a, like a little bit of like the producers, but yeah. Um, okay. but, but yeah, or, or I don't know. And I feel like it's very Black Mirror. Just trap them there. Maybe they have to play themselves. They're all on ice. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Um, we have, <laughs> we have one final story, and then we're bringing in Alexandra for our discussion. But this was the week where the My Pillow guy, eh? Tall guy with creepy mustache, did meet with the president on uh, Friday, the final Friday of this administration. Uh, the CEO of MyPillow, Mike Lindell, visited the president with a clipboard of notes on which said, as a, among many different things in terms of suggestions for the president, quote, martial law if necessary. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, which if apparently, necessary. right, if not, just if necessary, you know, if your coup fails. Yeah. And that's essentially a QAnon conspiracy, apparently, that like Trump is going to enact martial law and like he's going to the military is going to stand with him. And also, if you needed any more verification that the president surrounds himself with QAnon conspiracy theorists right now, you can get a discount on a MyPillow by typing in the code QAnon. No. Yes. Although Are you serious? right now is a few hours ago because I did try. Yeah, I was yeah, like, Let me see what's up. And it didn't work, but it was working for a while, um, which is super ironic because I feel like conspiracy theorists do just need a good night's sleep. Yeah, I think now the and code is WWG1WGA. Yeah, uh, to get that to get that QAnon discount. That's it is, it is. QAnon discount. And like, what's in the pillows? Like, when you get it, is it just like a little like music box? It's like Tom Hanks touches children. You oh know? shit! Like, yeah, maybe. Um, a Wait, which apparently is one of their conspiracy. <laughs> what the fuck? Is your pillow saying something to you? Huh? Uh, apparently, uh, that is part of the conspiracy: is that Tom Hanks is a pedophile, and I just He's think it's really funny. The inauguration. He's what? He's hosting the oh, inauguration. We're putting that makes sense because together. I thought. I saw those tweets blowing up on Twitter on the right of being like, and Tom Hanks is the host figures. And I was like, figures what? <laughs> that he, that his son is a weird fake rude boy, fake yardy. Oh my That's God. What, Tom Hanks son. Yeah, that is to, more Chet Hanks truthers out here. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but like, I just think it's funny that you like, imagine Tom, hating Tom Hanks that much that you have to create a whole conspiracy theory just it's about him. A lot uh, of just to, to get to him. Yeah, I'm I, I, oh, Mike yeah. Lindell. I, I, I'm just so it, it really is when you distill it down to what it is, is this former man who was smoking crack for decades and who, you know, found Christ and all these other things uh, was able to walk into the Oval Office with a bunch of cool ideas and talk directly with the president of the United States. Like, yeah. it shows you like that. That's how lame the White House has become and how like not sacred any of this shit is because it's the same thing as like a 7-Eleven. You know, like anybody could have walked in there and been like, yo, I got ideas who I talk to. Oh, okay, donation? Sure, I'll do that. And then can we talk about how I think we need an army of angels to protect us from the aliens? Okay. <laughs> 
just, but like literally the only person who even wants to talk to the president at this point are nut jobs like my pillow guy. Yeah. Um, pillows ain't that, that, that good anyway, from what I hear. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I hear mixed reviews. Guys, sound <laughs> off in the comments yeah. if you know. Yeah. For y'all uh, all, all rocking the my pillow, let us know. Yeah. Let us know. I'm, I'm, I don't, it needs to be medium for actually needs to be pr pretty soft, um, not like complete long. feathers, but it needs to be like, wow. The faintest memory of support. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, do they have a good medium up there and, and what's the uh, discount code like at this point? Um, that was the week where you guys, I'm going to go into your super chats real quick before we bring in Alexandra modem handshake noises on Twitch. I'm bitching about it not being Wednesday already. Amen. Um, Dax Alvarez on YouTube. If these insurrectionists and Kyle the Third Reichenhaus don't get absolutely hammer fucked with their conviction, we have to redo the system. I think we'll have to redo the system, Dax. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you for that super chat, though. Uh, tell me what to put on Twitch says Republicans deserve zero credit. Common decency shouldn't be revered as brave. Absolutely. Uh, 14, nine, uh, 1459 LDN. I'm really offended by your British accents. Uh, laughy face. I feel like you're not being honest. Yeah, LDN in the, in the handle too. Okay. Let them know. <laughs> London in the building. There you go. Um, 1459. Is that, is that from Bridgertown? Oh no, that's a little, that's a little earlier. Um, why so lucky on YouTube? Thanks so much for the super chat. Fran and TDZ miles crushing it. Hell Yeah. And Andrew Martin Giuliani can't find his dick in a Borat movie. Wow. <sighs> he was really trying to like, he was like, come on, wake up. He was trying to activate. Yeah. <laughs> go go I, gadget. No, -uh, not today. You, you must, you need to get, you need to top that up with some more credits from the store. <laughs> God. All right. We're going to get into the sitch. This is me just clapping. I, I clap in between. If you're listening in the future, I clap a lot. And it's a little bit like your bad dancing aunt who just like claps off beat and then starts to. It's what I'm giving off right now. Um, we're going to get into the sitch. We're talking about progressive wins in the House, progressive wins all across the nation, and what we need yeah. to do under a Biden administration. This is the sitch. And joining us is activist and political commentator who worked on Bernie Sanders 2016 campaign before going on to found the political action committee, brand new Congress. She's a founding member and current executive director of Justice Democrats, a grassroots organization recruiting the next generation of diverse working class leaders to run for Congress. Please welcome Alexandra Rojas. Hey, hey, hey. thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Um, and uh, wow, uh, two days. Two days to go, Alexandra. How are you feeling about finally being able to talk about non-Nazi issues? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's going to feel weird. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, it's going to be, I, I mean, it's the same grind for a lot of progressives out there, right? Which is at least for, for us at Justice Democrats, it's going to continue to uh, invest in this new generation of leadership that, you know, maybe isn't on the front pages of the news, but is clearly continuing to deliver victories like Georgia uh, that's getting lost in the sight of all of this. But there's a lot of, uh, yeah, a, a lot of young people, especially out there that are ready to, to get to work, even if our leadership isn't. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk about the incoming Biden administration uh, 
But I do want to ask you right off the bat, because there's some news from Justice Dems this week. Um, given one of the appointees in the Biden administration is leaving a vacancy in Ohio and Nina Turner is running for uh, Congress in Ohio in the 11th district, I believe. And Justice Dems is endorsing her run. I just spilled all that news when I wanted you to. But uh, tell me about Nina Turner's run and tell me, um, yeah, tell me about this, uh, this race. Yes, I mean, it's big. This is our first endorsement of the cycle so far. Uh, Nina Turner needs no introduction to national progressives. But, um, you know, in terms of the connection with Justice Democrats, I'm a founding member. And thank you for uh, of brand new Congress and of Justice Democrats and Back when we first started this, uh, lots of people told us that this idea of sort of running people on a slate for Congress and sort of forgetting about elections as silos and doing it by swearing off corporate money on a progressive agenda was was too big of an idea, was something that we weren't going to be able to do. And it was her and Representative Ro Khanna that were one of the few former and current elected officials that actually took us seriously and mentored us, mentored our candidates. Um, so it feels very, very right that not not only now that we can go back and, and see after all of the work that she's done as a co-chair, obviously, for Bernie Sanders and as a city councilwoman, as a state senator, uh, but also as someone who has just been there uh, on day one for, for progressives, even when it wasn't popular, whether it was for Bernie or whether it was Justice Democrats, it feels really good to be able to have her back right now. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I'm sure she doesn't, I mean, usually you guys do such a good job with like guiding candidates. She's someone who doesn't necessarily need that guidance. Um, what, it, what's her run looking like right now? Is it, is, um, is she going up against another Democrat? Cause, um, and cause her seat was vacant, vacated by, um, Marsha Fudge. Marsha Fudge. Exactly. That's right. Um, yep. so yeah, tell me about what you know about who she might be running against and about the district. If, yeah, absolutely. Well, so this is, like you said, it's Ohio's 11th. Uh, Representative Marsha Fudge is going to head into the Biden administration. Um, and there are multiple candidates in there. And right now, for folks that are watching, if you're fired up about Nina Turner, you can go to jdems.us slash Nina Turner. This is an open seat, which means that it is going to be a crowded field. It's not just going to be Nina. It's going to be multiple other candidates that I'm sure aren't as, uh, some might be as progressive or, or at least saying it. It's really important that, especially in these open seats right now and why we've gotten behind Nina, in addition to her being such a progressive champion is because we've got to show strength very early. We want to be able to make sure that the progressive is the clear front runner, which with Nina, she's raised over, uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's certainly above six figures. It's over 300,000 already. Um, she's launching with a lot of uh, local uh, officials and uh, activists on the ground. And she's coming in with folks like us and other national endorsers like Justice Democrat Cori Bush, Senator Bernie Sanders. So she's off to an incredibly good start, but all of the work that we do collectively as a movement to give her volunteer energy, to give her the resources that she needs to make a strong showing, especially in the beginning is going to be really, really crucial. So it's definitely going to be a crowded open field, but I believe that uh, we're going to continue. She's going to continue to to run a really strong campaign, especially in the beginning, and show that she's she's the clear front runner in this race. Yeah. When is the actual election? 
So we actually won't know quite yet until uh, the swearing in happens. So hopefully in a couple of days, we'll be able to find out the exact, exact date, but it's going to be pretty quick um, because it's going to, our, our expectations, uh, which it varies for different, you know, New Mexico is going to open up. Louisiana is also going to open up. So it varies by state, but for this one, it, it look it's looking like it's going to be pretty quick. I think the election is going to be in March. They're guessing with, you know, basically yeah. a big spread yeah. between now and then, and then, the seat will be up again, uh, yeah. but we won't know the exact dates until obviously the the swearing is is official. So, uh, but but the race in terms of uh, being Nina being filed is is official. Yeah, it's a short runway, but she's got name recognition, which is great. Absolutely, um, My- Miles. I want to bring you in because we started off a little bit bitching about uh, you know Biden and. Um, knowing we're going to be disappointed, but not knowing how to what degree you were mentioning something to me about, about Biden. And uh, why don't you put oh, it to Alexandra? Yeah. No, I mean, cause I think a lot of the candidates that have come in, especially under the umbrella of the justice Dems have been great and are the kinds of people that personally I'm like, right. These are people who understand what liberation means and what it takes and what the dynamics are and what we're up against to sort of dismantle these things to create yeah. a much more level playing field for all people. And it's done in a way that's very conversational, very understandable because the people are like living the experience of most American people rather than like, I'm the richest kid from my part of the state. And my dad told me I should run. Um, with all of that, because the energy is tremendous and it's, again, mm-hmm. it directly sort of threatens the status quo. How do you as a party navigate the obvious, you know, the, the way that the, the party set up now t- tends to marginalize, um, these office holders, yeah. and even these candidates and leaves a lot of progressives frustrated because we're like, that's what we need to do. And then, but then Joe Biden says they're kids and they don't know. So <laughs> what is like the way that, you know, how are progressives meant to flex their, their influence right now? Because so many, so many races, um, we're coming off the strength of like, you know, activist candidates or people who are much more in touch with what the electorate is feeling. So what's, how do we turn that into, you know, the momentum we can actually use to do more than just sort of be like, we're getting steamrolled. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's critical. There are almost 400,000 Americans that are dead from one of the deadliest pandemics in our lifetime. Uh, Even before this pandemic, there were 60% of Americans that couldn't afford an $800 emergency bill. Uh, And now we have a democratic trifecta. So if progressive means anything, it means moving forward. And so the question of how urgent and how quickly can we go? It couldn't be fast enough. So I think that is very understandable. And I've, you know, if we weren't feeling that that angst, that that sense of why aren't we doing everything in our power immediately right now to do something, that's that should be the 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 position that our government takes, which is sad, unfortunately, that uh, our elected leaders don't always take that. But I think it's also important to contextualize you know, outside of, you know, what what I just said there is also that it took a lot of work to even just get Representative Cory Bush here, to get Representative Jabal Bowman, to get Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the table. And it, was be, it wasn't because we just thought of electoral politics in a vacuum. It's because we merged that with social movement building and did the hard work of organizing communities that have been neglected for a really long time. And now we have yeah. to do that all over America. We have to captivate America with our, that we already know that people uh, love our ideas, 
they are excited. And, and now for the first, what feels like for the first time in so many years, you can actually see the fruits of, of the investment of, of, of thousands of progressives across the country in these incredible elected leaders that you just pointed out. Uh, the other thing that I, I think about all the time, uh, sad, sadly, is that what if we didn't have them in Congress right now, right? In the middle of Nazis and fascists storming our Capitol. Uh, so the question mm -hmm. of how we use that that urgency is is or how we how we use our power now that we have it is really important. But I think it's also important to recognize that it was really hard to get here, and we're going to have to do it dozens of times over again. So we have to get yeah. comfortable with not being able to get things immediately when we want. That being said, uh, you know we have unprecedented levels of of power in terms of in, in the House to be able to actually utilize a full block. I think even uh, in the Senate, even if we don't. We, you know, we have strong progressives like Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, but we also have folks like Chuck Schumer who are, you know, trying to cozy up with progressives as much as he can in every press conference he can because he's afraid of a primary. Uh, and Running so the tools scared. of, yeah, so the tools of being able to actually have seats in power, right, where I trust our our, our progressive champions right now and you know, folks like Justice Democrats, in addition to the sort of apparatus that is starting to grow of progressives on the Hill, because that's a decades plus institution that's had a head start, is growing and is really important, which is why Corey felt like she could on day one, launch a resolution to expel members and Jamal Bowman, his first piece of legislation is the Coop Act to be able to investigate the Capitol Police. So in a moment I mean, of Christ, yeah, I, I think that's yeah. really important. And then as we move forward, obviously utilizing, you know, that, that full block in the Progressive Caucus with some of the new rule changes is going to be really, really critical. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just right there, what you just said, it is so surprising to me that it and and of and sort of an of course that it is on some of these new freshman incoming squad members, progressive yeah. to say things like we should expel these insurrectionists in the Republican Party who absolutely were egging on, were potentially planning, were potentially giving tours to some of these far right yeah. extremists, like that it's on Cori Bush to have that resolution, that it's on Jamal Bowman to be like, we have to investigate, you know, police uh, in the Capitol and throughout the country, that it's on AOC to be like, look, if you have love for the Confederacy, get the fuck out of this fucking Congress. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, that is so insane to me. And like, imagine yeah. how this moment would feel. Just everyone, just imagine how this moment would feel if it was just Nancy, if it was Nancy and Chuck going up against queuing on nut jobs and being like, I mean, it's not right. It's uh, indecent. We've got, and it's just like the, the feeling of helplessness, yeah. you know, that I, that we would have felt is just, it's just incredible. And so they are absolutely, I think, blazing this way forward. Um, I also want to mention the line. That in so many ways they are holding the line right now. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I just want to say, you know, it is a huge thing that Chuck Schumer is clearly pivoting because he's scared of AOC primarying him. And you guys did that. That was a strategy that, you know, it's always been available, mm -hmm. but you guys did it because people were have been afraid to actually confront Democrats for so long um, for fear of I'm sure you've been called divisive a lot. Right. I'm sure you've been called um, help. against unity. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I do just kind of want to ask that about like, you know, where, um, what about like the very makeup of Congress itself and the ways that primarying has its limitations? Because there are districts where like, 
Yeah. It's just Republican. Like there's no way we're even you're even going to get a foothold in there. What do you what does Justice Dems think about that? Are you I know you mostly focus on sort of solidly blue districts, but what is the thought been and what is the success rate been around districts that could have gone either way or that maybe are even more red? Yeah, well, we definitely focus on safer blue blue districts, but we've also gotten involved in some red to blues. And last cycle, we got involved in Nebraska, Nebraska second district, which we were super proud to support Kara Eastman, and we're not going to win all of them. And I think that part of the reason why we see uh, the, the way that things are is because of a lack of investment and a lack of, honestly, a neglect of responsibility, I think, on the National Party's part to invest in parts of our country where not many people are willing to. And, you know, there's also Texas 28 with Jessica Cisneros we ran, even though that was against, you know, a Democrat that voted over 70% of the time with Donald Trump. That was basically a red to blue. These are two right. parts of the country where Democrats have take have said, you know what, Republicans are here. We're, we're not even going to invest. In each of yeah. those districts, there are uh, lots of foreign working people. There are lots of Latinos. Uh, that that need that need still need a champion to to speak for them, especially in a country where, uh, and I think we're going to get to this later, where we should be represented adequately uh, at the federal level, but we're not. So I think for us, like our posture is going to be the only way that we're going to get make a difference is if we do the hard work and invest in communities that really need it. Um, it's not going to be everywhere that we go in some of these red to blues, um, so that's going to be challenging. I think you know, in terms of tactics for progressives and the Democratic Party, it's got to be, you know, in places like Georgia, where we've seen the model, we've seen the model right. in Arizona with grassroots activists, with grassroots organizations at, on the ground that know their communities, they know how to talk to their communities. That's where we should be investing if we want to be able to see statewide, especially in the Senate, where we know that that's going to be really critical. But even in these House races, right, when we flex that muscle of organizing, uh, I think that we're going to see some real differences. And then also, like, it, you know, I think investing in state legislatures, right, in addition to that year-round organizing, in some of these places where, you know, it, it, we focus on the federal level, but in some of these state legislative races, it doesn't take that much money to really flip some of these seats or yeah. to make, you know, some of these races really competitive. And there are a number of organizations that are also focused on doing just that. So I think the, that, and then in addition to that, I think really, and at the federal level where all eyes are on us, we have to bring bring the fire when it comes to people like Laura, Representative Laura Bobart and other QAnon <laughs> Republican members that are siding with insurrectionists or the neo-Nazis that are literally storming the Capitol. Um, we have, as a Democratic Party, have to continue just like Cori Bush, just like Jamal Bowman and AOC are, to really hold the line. So I think there's there's multiple tactics yeah. that we have to take to uh, to, to address. I, that. I was, you know, just just Wikipedia Laura Bobart. Just yeah. look it up. Just opened up a restaurant, encouraging waiters and waitresses to open carry. Called shooters in a place called yeah Shooters Grill in Rifle, Colorado. Like you are trash. Like you're you're such trash. I don't know how these trash people. In these she was like tweeting live. No, <laughs> she was tweeting live, like where Nancy Pelosi was during the insurrection, too. Like, yeah, insane, insane, in insane. But I want to just talk about the just really quickly. Can you reflect on the loss? You have had more yeah. losses than wins, yeah, and and yet 
what do you learn and what do you gain by those losses? Um, and what do you say to people who are like, you can't even, whatever, fuck it, <laughs> fuck electoral politics or fuck electoral politics. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I don't mean to be cheesy, but I think that failure is a necessary part of success because otherwise you wouldn't appreciate when you win. And I think that each opportunity that we do lose is an opportunity for us to learn from our mistakes, understand how we could have done better so that we don't do it again. And I think we've proved that this, we, we lost dozens of races in 2018. We shortened the number, uh, we, we invested in a smaller amount, really shortened the number of places that we were going to get involved. And we got more victories out of that. And we're gonna continue to do that. But also I think that this is a movement, right? And electoral, like our strategy is not just electoral, a huge part of it is, but you gotta merge it with social movement building and the idea of, you know, in every time we engage in these races, every race that we get into, it's because this is a community, this is a part of our country that needs yeah. investment. Not only do we have a good opportunity uh, to be there. So no matter what, in Texas 28 now, in a place like Laredo, Texas, where there was very little progressive infrastructure, there are dozens of young Latinas <laughs> that are excited and ready and actually see a possibility of being engaged in their political system. You go to Nebraska, the same thing. You go to Ohio, all of the places, Massachusetts, uh, all of the places that we've been to. And that kind of work matters. And I think if we had that mentality as a party, we would uh, you know, see a lot of the, the fruits of our labor bear out you know, yeah. in the long term, not just if we get into this, you know, win-lose binary. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to, I mean, I guess I wanted to just gauge your thoughts because before the uh, this insurrection, before the clown coup, I think there was, I felt much more comfortable about talking about like lessons from 2020 democratic losses and be, and like really focusing on like, where did they lose and where did they win? Because progressives now make it, make up a bigger percentage of Democrats, but Democrats make up a smaller percentage of the house. And there's just so mm -hmm. much hand wringing over, like, was it the D triple C? Was it the centrist? Was it defund the police that scared so many people away? You know, mm -hmm. um, that's the centrist line. And then, uh, or was it that they, you know, they weren't speaking to the people? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that in terms of like, or do you feel like it's not either or there's no real um, one line on the postmortem of why Democrats lost House seats? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a one liner. I think it's okay. very complicated, but I, I, I complicated not, uh, uh, but I will say it definitely wasn't as simple as a slogan that's been around for a very long time or socialism or you know attacks that we ha can anticipate <laughs> coming because they have been repeated multiple times and i don't think it certainly it had nothing to do with the fact that we are in a lot of parts of our country uh and nationally wages have been stagnating for over 40 years we've never seen income inequality at such a gross level we've never seen this much money spent in our elections uh, and and the lack of results coming from our elected officials in Congress. Uh, and I think all of that and the appearance of the Democratic Party, and, and we wrote a, a memo on this from a lot of the leadership, uh, from the folks that, that didn't do so well in their seats or barely made it, that they didn't mm -hmm. talk about the economy and they weren't able to make the connection or talk about race in, in, a, in a nuanced way uh, to actually to get through the sort of dog whistle politics that the other side 
has been pulling. And I think all of those things really matter. So I don't think it was necessarily one thing. I think it was a lack of investment on the national yeah. party's part for decades. Uh, I think it was the failure of leadership, not just the Democratic Party, but our elected officials across the country for unfortunately getting to a place where when we do have a pandemic, we're not ready to have the most unpopular president and over, you know, ever, the most corrupt president ever. There's a number of things that led us here, but it definitely wasn't a slogan and it definitely wasn't, you know, sure. any number of names that that called it. So I, I'm definitely one of those where it's 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 not simple, but it's also not, you know, we, we need to anticipate when these attacks are coming, which is why investment in places to show <laughs> that you care about people. And I think this cycle, as we look to 2022 and 2024, it's gotta be about actually delivering and not wasting an opportunity like we did last time when we had a Dem trifecta and actually showing results for Americans. We could start with the pandemic, but it's gotta be also uh, seizing this opportunity that we haven't had in a long time to really transform our economy uh, and our society to work for everybody. Where this is, I'm sorry, Miles, I'm jumping in, but, um, uh, but are, where do you see the most leverage when it comes to making some of those bold, uh, policy, uh, changes? You know, I think to me, I'm just going to give you my thoughts on, I think, I think a pathway to citizenship for 11 million undocumented people, uh, without a language of, but we're going to secure the border even more, which is the democratic line and has been yeah. for so many decades. And the fact that Biden is not doing that is huge. Like that is a radical break. It's not a radical idea. It's a radical break from where Democrats were even four years ago, just like falling over themselves to be like, well, we're going to have snipers and there'll be dogs. <laughs> and like, Shut the fuck up. Like nobody wants yeah. that. Yeah. But, um, I, yeah. yeah where, where are some of those sort of openings where you're like, this is where, this is the lane. Uh, this is the thing that can deliver. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it's really important. There, there's going to be, there's going to be those types of conversations, I think, where it's like, what, what can we get? And then there's also like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I think that especially for the progressives in the house right now, like we're, this, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this $2,000 check conversation and how important it is that we're really applying pressure on leadership uh, to actually do what was promised. Um, so I think that's first and foremost, actually getting money and expanding the social safety net also as we do these, these measures and in the short term is going to be really critical. And then in the medium to long term, I think there, there are real uh, barriers like in the Senate. It, this I know that Biden is against this, but he's going to have to deal with the filibuster at some point and democracy reform. I know that there's been some bills that were passed in the House that seem, you know, in, in terms of the rest of the agenda that we have to actually uh, get implemented that are going to be really important. I think the uh, pathway to citizenship is huge. Um, yeah. I think doing something around health. There's there's so many things that seem $15 minimum wage is actually going to be, even though it's, it's coming a little too late, is actually going to happen. But I think in the short term, it's what can we do to expand the social safety net, especially in the middle of the pandemic. And Bernie has been talking about a special health care program just for the pandemic. And I think there are parts of where we where we do this, where it paves the path to Medicare for all so that when it actually is an opportunity where we can take it to a floor vote. Uh, we might have a better chance at at passing it. But after we kind of show right in the middle of a pandemic what it means when you do have some sort of universal health care, I think will be really key in continuing to to keep it high in public opinion and also demonstrate that this is a 
this is a policy that actually works. And I think that one could actually save millions of lives. Absolutely. Um, go oh, ahead, I'm just curious, like, you know, when talking about, you know, just district flipping or any kind of red to blue program at the yeah. moment, it sounds like uh, red to what? Um, how, you know, what, how do you even begin a conversation? I mean, like, you know, years <laughs> ago, it was more like, okay, well, we've identified this group of people who don't vote. If we turn them out, that's how we'll get to our 50% plus one. But I'm curious now in looking at all of the various landscapes, understanding that, you know, social movement building is, you know, really trying to get every, as many people in touch with, you know, how yeah. they can better their lives. I'm curious in what in a district, you know, that you're even have eyes on to try and turn blue, what that candidate would look like, what that messaging looks like. I mean, obviously the things that are being said by progressives feels like it's not very controversial. If you just say, I feel everyone should have food and health insurance <laughs> and an education. Oh, whoa. You're mm -hmm. calling me a what now? You know, like mm -hmm. how does that, what's that sort of, uh, what's your perspective, you know, running an organization like this and looking at, okay, how do we enter these districts? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, I, I think I saw someone in the comments, anyone right now that's listening or watching, you can go to justicedemocrats.com slash nominate to nominate anyone in your local community. The way that we find candidates, regardless of district is, is sort of art and science, the art part. And, you know, just like AOC was nominated by her brother, Jessica Cisneros, who uh, it was a candidate that we ran the cycle out in Texas 28 was nominated by her local high school teacher because we took out an ad anybody yes. send them through the nomination form um, but there that's twofold right I think there's one like in in some of those districts there are just going to be and there are I believe thousands of AOCs Jamal Bowman's Cory Bush's people that exist in every district in America, we just don't know them yet and we haven't mm. invested them in them yet. And I think mm. that maybe not everybody is for the federal level, but there there are, and I'm gonna just talk about the federal level specifically because that's where some of these red to blues where, where we're investing in. Um, I think that's one thing. And I think a candidate that speaks to their community and is, is, is really hard to find, but it's also once you find that and you're able to, to you know, find someone that can really connect on a, a real level, not just policy, but be able to talk about it in a way where their community is going to trust them and, and believe what they have to say, right? Especially when you see Washington totally not working with you, for you, makes such a, such a huge difference. I think swearing off corporate money to show that your community, um, that I you're actually going- that yeah. Trump, Trump did. Trump talked yeah. about- fucking giving everybody healthcare and I fund my own campaign, right? Like it's amazing to me that those two things, funding your own campaign and, uh, and like expanding the social safety net actually is very attractive. Of course, he's full of lies. And of course, you know, that was, you know, utter BS, but like even just naming those issues, I think is really important. And like, um, People aren't as allergic to them, I think, as a lot of I mean, it's basically corporations are allergic to them. And those are the ones who are paying, you know, paying for your campaigns right. often. It's almost um, like the, because we've become so it's like the hyper partisan era that we're in. So many people have actually quite literally lost sight of what their own needs are, because it's almost that, you know, like what you're talking about is like the way to talk to folks is to just, you know, meet them where they're at. And a lot of the times the language doesn't have anything to do with politics or more than being like, hi, I'm here. And I say, I care about you. And something yeah. like that's very disarming. It's like, but I'm so used to 
but I'm on this team and Houston not wanting help, but I do. How do we, it's just interesting to see how almost like the, the real art of it is that you're just speaking out completely like depoliticized language and going straight to people's humanity. And like, that's the winning formula. Yo, and then there's an opening right now to grab the moral. This is what I've been saying is like to grab the moral, you know, high ground right now when the other parties has been completely debased, just like, bye, bye, family values, bye. Oh, even like religiosity or Christianity, bye. You Mm -hmm. represent none of that. So like there is such a space for Democrats to actually grab that language. And there's such an opportunity too that I think, you know, I... Trump is a total fascist. He is one is the most corrupt president of our time. Uh, but there's one I, I remember when he was running one of the first times he stood behind uh, or when he ran the first time he stood behind or in front of a trash factory in Pennsylvania. And he told that crowd that we're going to rebuild this factory. We're going to rebuild. We're going to bring all of that. Obviously, he was lying through his teeth. But right now, Democrats have a trifecta in the House. We have the opportunity uh, in especially to tackle the pandemic, to tackle the existential threat of climate change, to tackle uh, rising income inequality, to transform our economy and our society by investing in the American people and by investing in uh, making sure that we actually do make things here in America, that we actually do create millions of high wage Uh, good paying jobs, that we actually do it by making sure that we lift everybody up and not cut anybody out. That's what Democrats have the opportunity to do and take that message to every single part of the country. Uh, And Joe Biden has the responsibility and the opportunity right now to show that if he even did half of his Build Back Better plan, that we could show those parts of the country uh, that he actually meant it when he said it. Uh, when, when he said it versus when Donald Trump says it. So I think not only do we have the moral argument, do we have the civil, you know, all of the many social movements at our and the, and the shoulders that we stand on, but we also have the opportunity to transform our society into the true 21st century economy and society that, that you know, I feel like the world is waiting for America to be. And, and I wish that more politicians were ready for that urgency and for that level of, of commitment. Um, to, yeah. to seeing where America could be. And I know that Corey and Jamal and AOC are ready. <laughs> we can prop yes. up Joe Biden as just, you know, <laughs> at Bernie's Sanders ideas uh, and just make him an actual, you know, FDR if he actually wants to be. Oh, we uh, got to push him. It's going to take a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alexander Rojas, Director of Justice Dems. Um, Please go to their website. Um, Alexandra, that is again? Uh, www.justicedemocrats.com. And thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Oh, please come back anytime if you want to sound off. I could just listen to you and like actually sleep better at night knowing that you're doing this work. Put the black pill away for now. Yeah, let's (laughs) save that. Put the cyanide away. Um, Take good care, Alexandra. Be well. um, You know, stay safe. And Miles, you're sticking with me. Okay, Uh, fine. (laughs) Got nowhere to go. One more segment. One more segment because, once again, this is the last episode before Trump is maybe out or launches a nuke at Iran and starts World War Three. Don't stop. That's <laughs> the one thing I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? They keep, I remember the beginning of the year, they were started doing a little pretext for fuckery type things with Iran. I was like, 
please just pretext for fuckery <laughs> yeah because they love that shit remember when all oh, they, they love nikki they, haley had all that that slideshow she busted out and she's like look at the look at this chunk of missile i mean i think i think we should war no no okay fine <laughs> god bunch of oh, god. but we have to get our last i mean it's not our last licks because unfortunately nothing is good everything's awful and this man is gonna live rent free in our minds for the rest of our lives sadly uh, but I do want to know what's going on in the White House right now as this changing of the guards is underway. So this is our final segment, the de-trumping of the White House. So fill in the blank miles mm -hmm. and everybody listening. After Trump, the White House will never be the same. The staff will have to blank. I can go first. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So I think after Trump, the White House will never be the same. Staff will have to finally kick out that adult film crew that was using the Lincoln bedroom at a thousand dollars an hour. Oof. Yeah. It's just like. But hey, but the sets. I I look. I'm not gonna lie. In the comments, are like that ain't the White House. Turns out, it <laughs> jokes on me. Wait, the Lincoln. Oh yeah, yeah. You're like, it actually was the White House. Um, Lincoln bio, Lincoln bedroom. So many, so many stains. Um, after Trump, the White House number be the same. The staff will have to, Second, my second one is, replace all the paintings that the Trump team has like strategically cut holes in the eyes of so they could just stand behind and stare at the incoming administration. Like, you know, Stephen Miller is behind one of them, just like, do, do. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, God. Straight cartooning that shit. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Goebbels himself. <laughs> That's such a good name. What do you think the staff is going to have to do, Miles, uh, uh, upon exiting? First one is uh, actually, you know, it, uh, the thing that they're going to have to do is turn it into an old Halloween store because that building ain't shit anymore. Uh, that's just be a big old Halloween super center. Like every old bank ends up being in your city near you. I feel like that's the first thing. It's like, you know what? We don't have to do this anymore. Just treat it for what it is. It, it, it's a, a thing that used to be cool. Um, the other thing I would say is that everyone in the white house now, not just to de-Trumpify the white house, but just to move forward as a country. Sure. Every, sure. if you work in the administration, you have to trip on psychedelics quarterly. Or semi-annually. Oh, you're just instituting new rules. This is like emoluments clause. Yes. To become an amendment and everyone should trip. The trip amendment. Yes. Everybody got a trip because there's a level, you know, there's a, our country has gone this far because no one's really looking inward or self-reflecting a lot. Of <laughs> you know, a lot of times like, I don't know, like Nancy Pelosi is like, my refrigerator is $40,000. Is that weird? I don't know. Oh my God. I don't know. Nancy Pelosi high and looking at her refrigerator is like. I don't need this. Right. Because I'm thinking, right, the, the power of a good trip can really, you will check yourself. I remember being a 17-year-old boy tripping <laughs> on mushrooms and being yeah. like, am I burdening my single mother with my, like, out-of-bounds behavior? And then, like, really <laughs> looking at myself. You know what I mean? So I feel like if if these people in office even had that moment, oh, my God, they'd be like, did I completely go back on everything I said I would be when I was in college trying to be fighting for people? And then I did just I peak at age 12 when I was called a pinche gringo. <laughs> right. 
Am I school? Am I regularly throating the boot? Huh. Oh no. <laughs> Dude, Miles, first of all, I've talked about like I haven't done psychedelics in a while, but I totally agree with you. I've talked about a little bit of shrooms really helping uh, it just gaining basic empathy, but yeah. then people are like, yeah, but look at like Silicon Valley and like Elon Musk and like Joe Rogan, like those fools trip, but like they don't have empathy. So I'm not no. really sure. And those guys that I remember that microdosing like craze began in like 2013, right. 14. A lot of it was to be like, they're coming up with ideas by microdose. There's never like, how am I going to treat the world or myself better? It's like, how can I put some turbo fuel on my imagination to create more things to sell. Uh, and yes. then I think other people that over the years, we found all kinds of wonderful, you know, therapeutic remedies and ways to use psychedelics, especially for like, you know, severe uh, conditions. And so look, yeah. and even greed and being in office for decades, uh, a trip might do you good, Chuck Schumer. I totally agree. Um, some comments. Thank you for these. Burn all the furniture. Use lots of sanitizer. Disinfect the whole place. Get rid of the tacky drapes in the Oval Office. Check for bugs. Fumigate for Goya bean farts. Ooh. Solid. Um, so many Goya bean farts. I do think that you need to probably scrub out the stain in the corner. I think they call it the wee corner where Trump, it's like between yeah. the bed and the and the bathroom where Trump like, in the middle of the night, he couldn't get to the bathroom, and there's just a little puddle. Yeah, but maybe and they have that to pretend be... it, there was a toilet there. Like, oh no, Mr. President, you did it right <laughs> in that right spot. Uh, we're just installing this the toilet, toilet over this carpet. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? That could be where the dog goes. The rescue dog could have the wee corner. They're gonna have to cut the floorboards out and everything. I'm sorry, but I was yeah, like they're like I'm. We got it's down to the boards, y'all. If I was if I was there for that job, I would like I would slam them with the fees. I'm like, the, I mean, you got mold in here, honestly. So, <laughs> um, yeah, everywhere. it's everywhere. <laughs> right. Um, they're going to have to make friends with Epstein's ghosts. This is what I think, because Epstein is haunting the fuck out of the White House at this point. Oh, yeah. um, and you just have to make friends with him. You just have to figure out his routines, his schedules, when he wants to flicker the lights. You know, Can you when he wants to talk about the old days. What? Oh yeah, that's just Jeffrey Epstein's ghost. Like you're working in the trying to explain to a visitor. Oh no, no, don't worry. That's 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 just Epstein's ghost. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Jeffrey yeah. Epstein, the the predator who has connections to numerous administrations. Anyway, his ghost haunts the West Wing. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, you were saying about the <laughs> child tax. Credit. You were saying Angela. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, exactly. Go on. Um. Absolutely. Uh, I love this. I'm going to read a couple comments. Thank you so much for everyone's comments and super chats. Name withheld on YouTube. Bernie becoming budget chairman is a huge win. And yes, I haven't mentioned that at all, but yeah. that is really big. And especially when it comes to things like war making and the fact that Bernie uh, has been on the side of things like, you know, stopping funding the war in Yemen, um, stopping all of our ties to Saudi Arabia. And it took this president I don't believe in like, you know, accelerationism or like that Trump actually was secretly good, but it really did take someone so fucking out there for the rest of Congress to be like, oh, hey, maybe we shouldn't keep funding murderers in the Middle East. You know, like right. let's not cozy up to Saudi Arabia that much. Like, let's not reward them with weapons when they kill a journalist. Right. Um, We'll so, just yes, set, we'll let our companies do business there for that really sick new business park Mohammed bin Salman is building. 
Did you see that like TED talk he did last no, week? No. <laughs> like this whole like business thing because the UAE has a lot more foreign investment in it. And he's like, y'all, just because I straight murdered that guy, y'all act like you don't want to invest here, please. I, I got credits too. And please don't be put off by like everything you've read. Uh, There's was, a tax haven inside of the tax haven inside of the yeah, tax haven. Right. It's like a Russian dolls of tax havens. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to see that. I want to know. Um, Miles Gray of the Daily Zeitgeist, thank you so much for joining me on the Bituation Room. You've been so wonderful. Oh, Everybody. Thanks for having me. I mean, heavyweight episode. You know, we have people who are oh. actually getting getting butts in the seats over here, and I'm all here hawking, you know, uh, mattresses and shit and food boxes. But yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's uh, I was honored that you would invite me. Uh, and oh, yeah. please. Oh, please. Um, obviously, okay. everybody should be listening to the Daily Zeitgeist. If you don't, it's such a good show. And file follow Miles Gray at Miles of Gray on Twitter. And uh, take very good care, Miles. Come back anytime. I will. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, everybody, please take care of yourself. Self-care, very important. A lot of the time, I only realized this year I was not doing it right the whole time. I was like, I thought just smoking weed was self-care. It's like, no, you have to really take care of yourself and nurture yourself. (laughs) Don't let those thoughts consume you, y'all. I am two days off of alcohol and I'm like, I cannot. I cannot. (laughs) Um, It's so delicious. All right, Miles, be well, man. And uh, thank you to everyone for being here. Remember, you can tip this show, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. All your tips are super appreciated. They help this show uh, be sustainable. But you know what does an even better job of that? Becoming a patron at patreon.com slash bituationroom. Uh, again, until I get uh, the, the big bucks from the big donors and uh, I'm working harder to be a corporate shill, uh, I rely on you all to make the show sustainable and your money helps our little team and it helps the team of producers like Becca Roofer. There's really only one producer. That's Becca Roofer and she's wonderful. So thank you so much to her. And thank you to Kelly Carey and Dorsey Shaw on the other side of YouTube, uh, working hard to get you these salty, succinct clips. That's a thing. Uh, but join us next week, every Sunday, 6, 9 at Eastern here on YouTube and Twitch. Um, and remember, this is the fucking last week. It's the fucking last 40 fucking eight hours. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I hope there's not another failed coup. I hope Q does not cast his evil queef spells all over this land. Uh, because as of now, this is what is going on outside of the White House. Now, as the Trump administration enters its final stage, the first sign of the end of a presidency, a moving van outside the West Wing. Stacks of moving boxes were being delivered to the Eisenhower Executive Office building. The office will be undergoing a deep cleaning just before President-elect Biden moves in. Bye, Felicia. Yeah, bye-bye. Remember, everybody, don't just bitch about it, be about it. Fuck the patriarchy, fight the power, and bye 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 Trump. <laughs>